You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. This podcast is brought to you in association with BHA Medical. BHA Medical source, supply, implement and innovate medical technology solutions across the globe. BHA provide market leading services in COVID-19 testing kits, medical products, smart technology and consultancy. One of the latest solutions that BHA Medical offer is the iMed end-to-end COVID-19 testing and monitoring solution. NPH iMed is an end-to-end COVID-19 testing monitoring solution that is developed in partnership with BHA Medical to assist in collating and managing test results, reopening travel, leisure, events and entertainment. NPH Group have simplified the process of reporting test result data for you through our online platform, which makes capturing the required data for submission easy, whilst easily also recalling individuals for repeat testing and submission. NPH have created a fully compliant and automatic upload capability, so you don't have to worry about it with a cost-effective solution. Please head over to the show notes for further details. Welcome back to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. In this episode, we're talking with Noah and Aaron Baron-Cohen on surviving a cardiac arrest. So Noah, now 22, um, six years ago in 2016, had a seminal event whilst exercising at school in North London. Noah suffered a cardiac arrest from a primary arrhythmia causing a VF cardiac arrest. So the adage that it takes a system to save a life truly came into focus that day. And uh, in this episode, we're going to hear from him and his first-hand experience of that cardiac arrest and everything leading up to that time and then we're also going to hear from his father Aaron from his perspective as well and it was really fantastic interviewing both of these guys because what it does is it really puts into context life through the patient's perspective and also through the family perspective and how much they absorb how much they appreciate the little uh, little things as well as the big So it's just prudent to mention that um, my involvement in the cardiac arrest was as a critical care paramedic. Uh, I was part of certainly a bigger team, both paramedics, HEMS crew and first responders and indeed ambulance staff. So really this this save and uh, Noah's life is attributable to all those efforts and indeed the first teacher on scene that did fantastic CPR on on Noah. So I really want to start to record more of these types of episodes where we put the patient back in focus and it helps to realign why we joined the job in the first place and what we all attempt to work for really. Please do enjoy this fantastic episode and a real patient perspective. Noah, could you um, could you just maybe walk us through your upbringing? So you're 22 years now. Oh, now yeah. you're in Sydney now. Um, could you just maybe yeah, walk us through just just your upbringing and um, and and how you came to be where you are? Well, I have got family on two sides of the world in Sydney and London. My dad's from, grew up in London. My mum in Sydney. So. I did grow up in London, but I decided, made the bold choice to study at university in Sydney. And I've made the trip over away from my family, which I currently reside. And um, I'm loving life, but I miss my family and my three younger brothers very much. But yeah, um, I'm a young boy. I'm making my way through life and living every day to the max. And so just as you, as what's brought you to, to Sydney uh, is studying and furthering your, your, your own education. Could you maybe just speak to 
where you were in your in your walk in your journey in 2016 because you were indeed at school uh, of the day and the, the event of the cardiac arrest could you maybe just set the scene uh for, the, for that for that for that day in 2016 and also maybe just even if you could also just speak to any any kind of red flags or signs or symptoms you had started to experience prior to prior to that day yeah absolutely um so I was actually born with aortic stenosis. Um, my aortic valve was small when I was a kid. Um, but I had a balloon dilatation when I was very young, I think a couple of months old. And um, ever since then till 16, you know, I was just a regular, regular kid. And I still, still continue to be. But, um, you know, I had no limitations other than visiting hospital once a week with my uh, my dad over here once a and, year uh, it wasn't once a week once a year <laughs> sorry not once a week <laughs> yeah. and um that was pretty much it I basically you know I played sports I played for a football team I was a very energetic kid ran running around and yeah I had a lovely life lovely lovely time with my brothers and my parents you know I look very fondly back on the my life as a child and and so Aaron just up into this point you you you're um Noah's father did had you um had you noticed was there any sort of uh warning signs you you said there was yearly checkups uh, was everything sort of going well up until that point with his yearly checkups yes yeah, so uh, as Noah said he was born with this um aortic stenosis and then that was he was actually born in Sydney where he is now and they did do this successful balloon balloon dilatation then he was seen in Great Ormond Street once a year and really they never said anything they always said it wasn't wasn't a normal heart and there was some leakage they were talking about but essentially they were happy to there wasn't really any issue that they told us about um i think the only thing they might have said was it might they might do it again at some point or but there wasn't really it wasn't on any medication or and it didn't restrict them in any way as he said so um we didn't really think about it apart from the fact we had to go in once a year. But actually, Noah did tell me, which I maybe forgot to say that he was, because Noah was, very, a very, was a very active boy. And, uh, you know, was always running around and jumping around. And, um, but also into very into sports. And um, he was training, well, he was, he was doing some running training with another of his good friends who's a very good runner. And he did feel something fairly, no you maybe you can talk about yes it, well no I'd say you know I'd always grown up and I'd always you know had some sense in certain moments when I was either doing very intense exercise or in a intense situation for example you know I'd, I'd feel my heart on those rare occasions and I still do um and that was all I knew so I didn't know any uh it to you know to think anything of it but leading up to that cardiac arrest I was doing PGCSE where we had to do a Cooper test uh, long endurance running and I was training you know I was running twice a week around the block um, after school and then I did go with my friend Tao once to I think it was Primrose Hill and in one of those sessions this might have been two weeks before my cardiac arrest I remember having to stop um, after about 15 minutes you know I felt my heart and I and it actually kind of felt something I hadn't felt before and um in that moment it, it just all seemed very surreal to me and I didn't think much of it but 
looking back, that was obviously a little bit of a signifier there. Um, just because I was pushing myself to the absolute match, you know, I'm, I've got a sort of drive where I wanted to, you know, I'm, I'm not the most naturally fit or athletic person, but I wanted to, you know, do well in my fitness and do well in my uh, exams, obviously. So I was pushing myself and I think I pushed myself a little bit too far there. So let's just dig into the Cooper test, actually, because it's it's interesting. I hadn't heard of it before I had um, seen an interview with you uh, retrospectively. And um, so, Noah, can you just for listeners, could you just maybe um, uh, unpack the Cooper test as, as to how strenuous it is? Because it's it's almost akin to a bleep test, maybe, but just maybe even more intense. Yes, it's a well, I believe you know, you don't really have the option to opt out of a Cooper test, whereas in a bleep test, you, you, once you're done, you're done. But um, the Cooper test essentially is a four by 25 meter, 100 meter square block that you run around as many times as you can for 12 minutes. And that was basically all we did for about 10, 15 weeks of um, year 11 in PE, because that was what we were going to be tested on as one of our four modules in our PE. And, you know, we were each time trying to, you know, it was a competitive sort of thing because it, it was a group of about 30 of us, you know, all the boys sort of laddish culture. And, um, you know, we were pushing each other and getting those marks and you always wanted to do better than the last week. And so you just run around, run around, run around and you go in pairs. And it's quite a, it was quite a um, competitive, I would say fun, but also competitive thing. And, um, you know, it's a real test of fitness and endurance. 12 minutes you're just running round and round and round it's not like a 400 meter um racetrack it's much smaller than that so you basically can become quite mundane going round and round but yeah that was what it was and that's what we did basically every PE lesson and Erin could you could you maybe just speak to um your your memory of of that day in 2016 maybe just prior to Noah's event my dad was pretty ill at that point as well so we were you know i was visiting him and, um he was 83 yeah. at the time and that was all going on uh so on the in terms of what Noah was doing and you know he was he was doing pe gcse which is why we were doing the bleak training so hard for that um but we didn't know we weren't aware of anything uh to do with his heart and he was revising for his you know general GCSEs um pretty weird I was Noah said goodbye in the morning as usual went to school I went to visit my dad in hospital around now I can't exactly remember the time that we heard but I got on the way back which was around midday or something I got a call um that it would have been around like what uh 12 o'clock because that's when yeah, I had my around midday I got a call from the school or from my wife, I think she'd been called, um, that Noah had collapsed at school. And um, it was pretty weird. So they couldn't really tell me much more information about actually whether he was alive. Um, they probably didn't know. It was like probably one of the most terrifying moments of my life. So I rushed to get my wife and get to the car luckily it wasn't too far away i mean we were about 25 minutes drive away from the school um so we got in the car 
and we tried to ring the school. We got through to the school. They couldn't really tell me any information. I think they were. I'm not sure what was going on exactly, but we they couldn't tell. They I did say, "Is he breathing?" And they couldn't tell me. Um, and so we were driving, you know, to get to school, which took 25 minutes, I think. Was it uh, you and Mum both in the car? Yeah. So I literally come back from the hospital and and it was in the car. And uh, we, when we got to the school, um, well, it was pretty. It was pretty terrifying, to be honest. I mean, the amazing thing that happened in terms of his survival and everything is that he was at school doing sport, and he was Couldn't in have been the, a bad place to happen. Really, with, luckily, there's there was an incredible sports teacher, you know, Ashley White, who was the guy, guy who really saved his life initially and then all you guys carried that on but um when i got there no was on the um what is that place called no where you were the where you were training the, the astro tra- pitch the astro they got an astro pitch there he was lying he was he was um fitting i think it was the word which i've never seen anyone do so that was pretty traumatic to see so i didn't really i think i I think um, you guys were all busy there, you know, so um, working on him at that point. I can't remember if the helicopter had come in. I think that came in soon after I arrived or I can't, you know, it's hard. I can't remember exactly exactly um, the, the stage of everything, but all I know is, yeah, it was a different, you know, the most difficult day of my life, but, but we had a kind of a miraculous result at the end um yeah i could talk more about it if you want but yeah but that's the initial thing to, you know coming up to where it, so it was a complete shock really what was going on from your perspective what can you remember prior to the event so if you just want to see you're running the cooper test did you start to get some symptoms did you start to feel dizzy how how did it look from your side now so, um, as a matter of fact, I don't remember a single thing from that day, um, which is probably, I assume, not too uncommon. Um, prior to it happening, it was a regular random Friday uh, six years ago in my life. Um, so, um, unlike, obviously, my uh, dad, um, I wasn't aware of anything once, once it started happening. And um, I didn't remember. I don't remember a thing. The last thing I remember prior to it happening was my mom's birthday which was two days before we went out to some italian restaurant i think and that's probably my last memory prior to the event um and then yeah that's basically it for me what i know is that what we were told later is that um he was doing this cooper test and then he completed it and sat down with his one of his friends i think a friend yeah of yeah no i mean obviously i've been told the whole story um, just mm. from my perspective, I don't remember a thing, mm. but, yeah. um, but I pretty much know know the whole picture. You know, I've had my a, a load of my good friends were there, and obviously Ashley, um, who say, helped save my life along with you guys, um, has told me stuff, and I basically have the whole picture of what what happened. Um, and you know, it was um, it's weird to think about. You know, may, arguably the most significant thing to happen to me in my life so far in terms of um, impactful and life-changing happened and I, and I wasn't even conscious, which is a quite odd thing. 
So I don't think it's uncommon to have this, what they call this sort of post-cardiac arrest amnesia, um, where you can't recall anything. And every sort of cardiac arrest survivor I speak to has the same. They, you know, there's a complete memory loss of of the events. Um, and, and if I'm right in thinking from from your history and from the his, history, Ashley, uh, Mr. White was speaking about. I think you sat down uh, post post Cooper test because you were so acutely tired at that at that at that time. And Correct. then, and then never, never really got back up uh, yeah. from 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 that event. Which I think again, I in fact, lay down with my friend Oliver, um, Ollie, and uh, we both lay down. You know, we were knackered after the twelve minutes. Um, and my teacher, Miss Hoskins, told us to get up. Ollie got up, and I never got up. Yeah. So, from interestingly, from my perspective, Noah, um, when I arrived, the other paramedics were certainly there uh, the fantastic work that ashley white that your teacher did um yeah. was 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 proof of the you know the start of the chain as erin was saying you know it was, and yourself it was fortunate that this event happened at school so that there was witnesses so that doctor uh, that mr white could jump into action and start to perform bystander cpr once you recognized you're in cardiac arrest uh, yes. certainly when i got to you as well there were there was still um cardiac arrest ongoing um i think you were actually in cardiac arrest for about half an hour your heart was quite stubborn at that time and there was a number of uh, we had to shock your heart a number of times we had to do afterwards really was just um sedate you as well because there was a little bit of post cardiac arrest agitation which is not uncommon again and so just to try and control your your as no as Aaron was saying your uh, any seizure activity any agitation any any sort of um involuntary movements um and then uh, Aaron's quite right we called for the helicopter because what we wanted to do is give you a uh, roadside anesthetic so put a breathing tube in down 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 your neck so just to help you breathe just to deeply sedate you and just to get you to the right place so the hems team arrived uh, i think we promptly got on with giving you an anesthetic um and and sedating you or but all of which you, you wouldn't have really been aware of because you were sort of deeply unconscious yourself of yeah and at the same time then i peeled away i remember very much speaking to erin understandably extremely concerned but then just briefing Erin on the um on the updates and indeed on the successes so the fact we got we had your heart beating again the fact you were making these involuntary uh, movements which was a great uh, sign uh, to see so so early on um, when was, and that, was that on the day that was on the day so Aaron was with you he was with me he, he, he was in the back of the ambulance and so we were sort of briefing him as well as he was he was he was looking in in on the care uh, which was which was uh, I think the best place to be because then you uh, Aaron could be directly involved in 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 your care as you as you move to hospital so I believe the Hems team took you away yeah, so I just wanted to say one thing which was before we get on to that next bit which is um as I said, I was driving to school, so I probably took 25 minutes, half an hour to get there. So you were really there. But, um, you know, uh, Ashley White, I think, had to do uh, CPR for an incredibly long time. Um, told I think me he told 15 minutes. I think he was the only guy who knew how to do it properly. And he was the sports teacher. Was, luckily, he was incredibly fit. And uh, <laughs> he did a great job, obviously. But um, there was no... Um, 
defibrillator in the school or anything like that. So he he was on his own for, I think I, I think it was seventeen minutes before the before the ambulance arrived. I'm not sure who was there first. I think it was a policewoman arrived first, apparently. And in that initial period, I mean, do you know how long? I mean, that you, you when you were there, how long was that after the call? I'm just interested to know because I was told it was about seventeen minutes, something like that. Yeah, I, it was quite a while actually for for myself because I remember being in South London at the time, so mm. it was it was it was a good uh, duration afterwards uh, from for myself as a, a critical care paramedic to arrive, and I remember very much being there after the ambulance, after the first responder, very much. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, you it, called it, in the you were you the guy who called in the helicopter? And that was your decision once you saw that he was getting through the initial bit, probably. Yeah, it was the decision. Um, it was the decision on scene, um, but by a few of us actually, that it was the best course of action actually mm. to to get the helicopter team in to uh, to both sedate him and indeed further and indeed put a breathing tube down his down his throat. And what that did is it allowed us to directly transfer you through to Great Ormond Street, but it also uh, allowed the continuation of care, so the continuity of care uh, once you were deeply sedated and uh, anaesthetized with the with the uh, roadside anaesthetic mm. so it really did help with the transferal and indeed the continuity uh, as as we went forwards so i so let's 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 just uh, play that out then so actually you're in now you're in great ormond street uh, they they assess you noah in that interim noah what 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 procedures had you had done i think you had a couple of significant surgeries um quite quite early on in your treatment yeah it was a um it all happened quite fast uh, from my point of view um obviously i was in hospital initially for a couple of weeks maybe three four i can't quite remember but um had two uh, quite big operations a uh, month and then another month later um, I had an open heart surgery to replace my aortic valve and then I also had the internal defibrillator put in which was um, which I just got replaced uh, last week in fact so, yeah nice. that was quite a process and um, from my point of view the hospital experience wasn't wasn't the worst time in my life because I was kind of you know I was on the road to recovery I had quite a lot of um anesthetics and um drugs I think I was taking at the time so I wasn't I wasn't hurting at all I was watching movies and it was quite an quite a soft and slow recovery from my point of view and I had my family obviously there most of the time and my friends came to visit and that ba that basically got me through the the hospital so Aaron, how was it from your perspective um, through through that phase of Noah's journey? Well, it was literally, as you said, it was a, a path to recovery that was every step had to work. So the initial thing was, I kind of had this mindset where it was just minute by minute survival, really. Um, I, when I got to the school, I found that he was still alive, so that was good. Um, although we didn't know what kind of state he would be in, you know. And then we uh, got into the, you know, we had the great, we had those doctors arrive with the helicopter and they gave him the best possible care at that moment. We all got into the ambulance. There was a question about where to go, I remember, because uh, Great Ormond Street, where he was being treated up to that point, don't admit 
emergency. But I managed to get on the phone with some, I had the doctor, you know, with the, um, some, of the, some of the contacts, num- had some contacts there, um, and we managed to get him in. I think that was probably quite important as well, that we got him there rather than a different hospital, um, because they knew his case, and obviously it's a great hospital with great doctors. Pollen? Lovely hospital, nice coffee place opposite. And then we got in, I remember it was a Friday and um, Fridays, we're Jewish families. So it was this, uh, it was the Sabbath coming. Um, and actually our rabbi turned up very quickly there. And at that point we didn't know, no was in um, intensive care and we didn't really know what was going to be happening next, you know, and or what, whether he'd been, you know, my great fear was uh, obviously, well, that, that he would survive, but my great fear was whether his brain had been affected or, you know, uh, and initially we were told by some doctors that he probably had been affected. So all this was incredibly stressful, you know, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, I was... I remember there was, um, I think there was an Arsenal game going on and I was a big Arsenal fan and I was telling him about it in, and I didn't know he could hear me, but I think I felt his hand respond and I was playing him a bit of music as well and I thought that was positive, you know? So, um, and yeah. it was almost yeah. like, the doctors actually said it was almost miraculous that he came back the way he did, you know? Um, after that kind of event. Um, so I think it took a, I, I can't remember when he kind of woke up, but when he did wake up, I remember, I think it was about a day and a half later. The Sunday morning. He, he tried to, he didn't know where he was and he tried to run out of the room, which he immediately fell out. I've been like, kidnapped. Um, thought I'd been kidnapped. But, uh, Actually, I mean, it was a crazy time. My dad died three days later as well, um, after just sort of kind of fairly short illness when he was ill in hospital. Um, so it was kind of, let's put it, let's say it was a bit a very interesting time in my life, a bit too interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy. I remember I had to go to bed my this happened on the 1st of April, Noah's event. The 4th of April, my dad died. The funeral was on the 5th. And I remember I'd been in the hospital with Noah, but I went on the way to my dad's funeral. Noah rang me because he had his phone and he was able to talk. And I had to tell him where I was going. So it was all kind of because he hadn't realised. So um, I don't remember that. Yeah. So the amazing thing was the care that he got and it just seemed to be you know incrementally very positive um that he was recovering that he was starting to he was a bit incoherent in the beginning and sort of and that was partly maybe because of the drugs partly because of what happened he couldn't remember things uh that was all normal after that kind of event and um but he he looked you know, considering what you've been through, he, he looked like he was on the way to recovery. And that, you know, that was really hopeful um, for us. So, you know, and uh, not many people have that situation, you know, not people get through it. 
So uh, it was just stage by step by step, really. But um, yeah. So I remember coming to see you actually, Noah, and yourself, Erin. Uh, I'd mm. say, I think it was three to four days afterwards. Um, Noah, you probably don't remember that because it's, it's no. quite, quite hazy. But then I think I came twice or three times actually just to make sure, mm. you know, things were going in the right direction and uh you started to be very much more um animated no i I remember i remember you coming um one of the instances but by that point i was able to walk and and um i had my full memory back of that that period i remember we met downstairs or something and that was the first time i remember meeting you in fact and you had your whole maybe your ambulance gear on and um yeah it was just so surreal all those moments meeting Mr. White and um, coming to terms with what happened to me took uh, quite a while because it was so much and so so hard to comprehend at that age that I didn't really understand it fully and I still don't you know I'm learning Mm. things just from talking to you now and and thinking about it. Yeah it's such a profound episode but uh, am I right in thinking um, I'll, I'll drill into actually what how you uh, are physically now as in whether you whether you do exercise as hard or, or not but before we go there just to talk about Mr White because um, am I right in thinking he got a uh, an award indeed for his endeavours uh, on that day he did, yeah and deservedly so I mean he without him you know I don't know where I'd be but he really took the initiative on that day um, no one no one else could and you know he it was a hard thing to do but he did it incredibly and heroically um to save my life which i'll be forever grateful and i message him on instagram every now and again um and we i will he'll always remember him and he'll always be a part of my life it's, it's called sads um, lifesaver award i think it was um which is the uh, it's a uh, organization that deals with um sudden death or sudden or potentially people could be saved from that situation and um it's an incredible thing yeah that yeah. uh yeah yeah so he and he's now in another he's gone to another school um now and um yeah he's doing very well which is so Noah, looking back at your uh, at, at that intense piece of exercise, which then triggered the cardiac arrest, and now you have this implanted uh, defibrillator, which which monitors your heart rate. How do you approach exercise now, Noah? How, how what's your mindset now? Well, um, it's funny the timing of this interview because over the last month and a half, I've had a little bit of a um, for the first time since the cardiac arrest, I've had a little had a little incident where I fainted about a month and a half ago. And because of what has happened to me in the past and because I now need to be careful, I went to the doctor and um, they've detected a little um, difference in the electrical signals in my heart to the average person. And as a result, I went and I got a loop recorder uh, inserted actually only a a two weeks, a few weeks ago. and now I have that alongside the defibrillator. So I have two things inside of me. Um, the defibrillator itself, you know, when I first got it, it was funny. It's like such a weirdly shaped thing to have inside your body, like a sort of block. Um, kind well, of you've, got like a, a, you've got an external with subcutaneous defibrillator. It's a yeah, it's not regular. Most, so of them a bigger go, one. most of them go inside the chest, but this one just kind of sticks out because I'm quite a slim, slim lad. So 
Um, it looks like a big button that you can kind of press and I'll go on and off on the side of me. But uh, maybe I'll, I still need to put on a bit of weight to get that covered up. But um, yeah, no, it hasn't caused me any discomfort other than I don't really sleep on my left side, which is where I sleep on my right side. And um, other than that, it's uh, there just in case I need it, which is gives me great confidence. And, you know, I, I've loved exercise and I continue to love exercise. While I'm here in Australia, I, I've got really into swimming. I swim every morning. Well, I, I try to at least. I haven't done in the winter so far. But, you know, I, I love exercise. And thank, thankfully, I've got this defibrillator, which gives me that sort of breathing room in a way to um, not worry so much. And I don't really think about, you know, I don't get anxious like w some people may do. Um, thanks for this device. So in my own life, uh, my sister-in-law uh, died of um, of SADS uh, when she was 27 and in a gym, actually, and had very much a primary arrhythmia. Uh, again, there was no defibrillator there and uh, it was a different outcome. Really difficult time for our family, but it changed the dynamics of our family. Um, yeah. And, it, it, you know, I tell my brother that I love him all the time now and mm -hmm. I tell my family that um, very much more so than I ever did before. Erin, has it, has it changed the, the dynamic or indeed has it changed your perspective on life uh, post uh, um, um, Noah's event? I think something like that has to change something in you because it's such a big event and such a shock, firstly. But then we were incredibly lucky. You guys were there and we just had this chain that led to Noah surviving. And that was miraculous, really. And obviously Noah was able to come back from that, which doesn't always happen as well. Um, but even with that, I suppose you are aware that life is nothing is certain or maybe more than you just know that maybe more than most people that nothing you can make plans or but nothing anything can happen and really in a second your life can change so that there's an awareness of that I mean because Noah has such a good recovery life has gone back fairly to normal I think maybe the what from what you said about where you talk to your brother maybe the family became closer I think it was very hard for everyone and well, for Noah's brothers in, in the initial stage because it was such a shock to all of us that his, their brother almost died that we you know we had quite a hard time with some of uh, his brothers who were much younger um, they found it difficult to deal with um, even though he'd recovered it was just a difficult event you know to, to process um so it was the post family dynamic was tricky actually um just because everybody was a bit upset or moody or there was more you know i've got he's i've got four boys and it's the eldest and uh it was a busy family already but it was um i think one of his brothers izzy uh who was 12 at the time went into puberty early because of it i think we think anyway and uh, was quite angry about things. Maybe it was just being a teenager, but I think it was a bit more than that. Um, but yes, I think it does uh, change your perspective and maybe it's brought us closer in many ways as well. Um, and we've been- Absolutely. I was gonna say that we hadn't really had to think about Noah's health. He's been very active swimming and get, uh, doing gym stuff and, He's on, not on any medication at all. 
until very recently where he had this where he fainted and we he, we made sure that he um, went got that checked out so um again we didn't no one expected what happened uh, he, even though he had a condition from a child even his doctor dr yates at brain Tree, they didn't expect this outcome and it wasn't something we were expecting so and they said what he also had a Ross operation after that and as well as the defibrillator they didn't really know what had caused this and they still don't know but um in the meantime life goes on and he's uh you know we just, he's still monitoring obviously and he's he just had these minor procedures but um anyway that's enough I think <laughs> I think it makes you enjoy enjoy the good times more going through a hard time um especially with family and with the people you love um when you go through these things together um it does bring you closer together and and you know that the meaning in life becomes more apparent i think because of how precious precious it is um you know every day is a blessing and and all the good times are just things that we should appreciate and live to them the fullest because those those are what bring us together and bring us closer there are so many unnecessary stresses in life um little things especially nowadays with social media and and these things are definitely um things that people um become quite concerned about but the real things that are important um like family your friendships and and the love of life that allows you to live live in a freer way when you go through something hard like i did and like we've we've all done um i think you appreciate and you and you appreciate every day and you you really have to um give give your all in a sense to to live life to its fullest and be joyous and and do the most that you can um, to experience what, what it has to bring and offer. So guys, as we're coming into land on the conversation, just a couple more questions. One would be just looking at the skill of CPR uh, from Erin, from your perspective, and then to you, Noah, um, how important is, is, is this skill to be taught in schools from your, from your perspective? Oh, from my perspective, well, it obviously saved my son's life. Um, I think it's it's incredible how when things happen to the heart, if someone is nearby who knows how to give CPR, they can save a life if they can do it. It's a hard thing to do. It's incredibly physical, and and uh, I, I sometimes I think whether I'd be able to because I did get the training course, so I need to maybe refresh it. But um, it's it's quite hard to step up and and be in that situation. And um, but incredibly you know what an incredible result and if the if the heart is pumped at that point very good survive you know where do you survive or you don't survive it's often not not to do with what the, the what happens to your heart but where you are or whether someone knows how to restart your heart so it's incredibly so i think it's crucial i think everybody should learn it have some knowledge of it and you know hopefully if it comes to it, if they if they know if they can save someone's life, it's the most incredible thing. And Noah, uh, from your perspective, would you like to see sort of CPR delivered more frequently in schools yourself? I'd like yes, CPR training 
would be beneficial, absolutely. Um, it's not something that we expect um, to ever have to do, but in those rare occasions where it does happen, it can happen anywhere and anytime. So the more people that know how to do it and the more people that um, have the capacity to do it um, gives a, a greater probability that lives will be saved essentially. So um, please God, um, you know, most people who learn it don't have to do it, but yeah. those specific people who can step up and do it, you know, it's, it's infinitely valuable. So just a final question as we come into land, um, if there's so any take or messages that you both like to confer to, to listeners as, as they're listening to this, um, be them paramedics, doctors, nurses, or otherwise, uh, Noah, to you first, anything you'd like people to take away from this conversation? Well, I'd firstly like to say through my experience and um, my life journey and how um, much I've relied on those working in um, health and and hospitals, you know, how grateful I am to all those people and what an honor it is to do something like that in your life. You know, I've got a great friend of mine, Theo, who's on his way to getting a doctorate. And um, I think it's such an ad admirable thing to work in that field where you're saving lives and it really um, gives gives back so much to to life and to, to, to the people that need it essentially. And, um, yeah, I'd like to thank you, of course, for for being there and, and everyone. I'm so eternally grateful, as I obviously have to be, um, for being alive. And and that means, you know, I have to just say a massive thank you to everyone, essentially. And I walk in, I'm in awe of, you know, the nurses, the, the physicians, the doctors are all incredible. Um, everyone that I come across. And... Um, in terms of just life itself, I think, you know, it's such a beautiful thing and I'm very lucky to be here, but I don't want to look back and we have to live life every day as a blessing and a treasure and, you know, smile as much as you can and say, I love you as much as you can, because um, those things give meaning. And Erin, from your perspective, being on the other end is there any takeaways that you'd like listeners to uh to, well i to think have? noah's kind of said it already i think it's amazing what you said and um really all i can say is all you guys uh in the ambulance service doing and and all the people we encountered in the national health service in great Ormond street and um later at bars you do an incredibly difficult job and uh probably not paid enough for what you do that will be not probably definitely not paid but you you'll you, the professionalism and the incredible um you know uh, we just saw it and it was incredible to see and um well you save people's lives you know every you know that's what you do and that's well, there's nothing better in the world than that is that and even though it's a hard thing, but it's, it's an incredible gift that you guys do for people. We try and save lives, and there's a lot of success, you know, which is, which is great. And I'm grateful for it as well. So thank you as well. 
Oh, it's an absolute, it's, it's a system that, that, that saves a life. So it was, um, you know, the, everybody doing their job, including Mr. White and including the rest of the paramedic team to, uh, to get you to where you are now. But, um, yeah, it actually gives me a lot of joy and pleasure. And that's actually probably one of the best parts of the job to see, you know, Noah in such a healthy young individual, um, with the rest of his life to, to, to live. And to the, to that final point, Noah, um, what are you hoping to do now? What are your aspirations? What are you studying for? And what do you hope to, to achieve uh, at the end of it? Well, that's the, um, beauty in it all. You don't necessarily know, um, what your life has to hold in it all, but I have dreams and aspirations. Absolutely. I, I try to, um, give my all in everything that I do really um, you know take care in and and appreciate you know the fact that I'm able to go to university and study and the friendships that I have every every person is a has a beauty inside of them and I think through conversation and through um, experience you really get to live it all up um, I'm still at uni and um, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do after but I'm I know it will be something great and then just wait and see. Guys, listen, it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you today and thank you both for your time, your perspectives and your insights because they're absolutely precious. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Amazing. You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network.